My name's Evan. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Evan. Clearly. Uh -huh. Hey, guys. Uh, good to see you. Um, it's cool. It's not cool that this is all happening, but it's cool how alcoholics have dealt with it. And, um, you know, I can go. I moved to L.A. before this all happened from New York. And so it's kind of cool that I can go to a New York meeting and, like, check in with Al and check in with Ned who's here. And I can go to a North Carolina meeting where I started and, like, see my rednecks I got sober with and, like, you know, and pop into an Austin meeting. And I love Austin. I just went to uh, the Austin Film Festival last October, and I loved it there. I went to the, um, what's it called, that theater downtown? Um, Alamo, the Alamo Draft House. And I, even I took an Uber to uh, Bastrop, Texas to check out the Texas Chainsaw Massacre gas station. I'm a big horror fan. Um, and it was, I loved it. I loved your city. So I'm here to talk about what my life was like in um, alcoholism and, and addiction and what happened and what it's like now. And I'll try and keep it simple. I'll try and focus as much as I can on the recovery part um, as well. But I'll qualify a little bit and... Um, and just say all the things you've heard before in many different words, you know. I felt different in school. Um, I felt special, but I also felt dumb. And um, I had a, you know, I had ADD, or at least that's what they called it. I, I don't know if it's real or not, but I, I had that and was on prescriptions for that and struggled in tests and was a class clown and, you know, would do impressions of my teachers. Uh, for my classmates and some of them were mad about that and um some of them thought it was funny and, and brought me up in front of class uh to do the impressions and that began a uh a future career in entertainment which is a huge uh mistake in many ways um i and it just it gave me that validation early on i knew i saw that if i misbehaved um I would get attention and, and it was fun and people, you know, would laugh and, and I'd, I'd feel okay because life at home didn't feel okay to me. I had a mom that was mentally ill and I had a brother that was terminally ill and um, a dad that worked a lot, you know, but they all loved me. There was definitely a lot of love at my house. I never will ever say in any speech that I drank because I wasn't loved enough or because of uh, one specific circumstance. I, I drank the way that I drank, um, which is the way the book talks about. You know, I get that phenomenon of craving and I can't stop. Um, and for me, it's not just booze. I can't stop until the drugs are gone and until the liquor store is closed and until your drugs are gone and, and my dealer will not answer the phone and then he won't answer the door because I'll go to his place. Um, you know, I uh, I think all that happens with me because I have the disease of alcoholism. I think I you know I just think it's something that I got uh, early on. Um, just judge judging on my behavior and uh, as a kid, you know, I, I could never have one of many things, and um, I, uh, I I sit in meetings and I hear speeches about how people felt when they were kids. They're alcoholics, and I just I happen to miraculously relate to all of them. Um, and my facts are not always the same, but I can always relate to the way you guys felt, you know? And, I, and the same goes for my bottom. Um, I can't always relate to like the exact charges you guys got or like the exact 
apologies you owed in the morning um, or the exact words you'd say to the mirror because you hated the person looking back. But I can relate to the fact that you had charges and that you had texts in the morning you had to apologize. And I can relate to the fact that you didn't like the person in the mirror. And um, I can relate to the feeling that you wanted to stop and couldn't. And I can relate to, you know, every story I heard about promising a God that they didn't even believe in that they were done at night and waking up the next day and doing it all over again. I did all that stuff, you know, and I didn't like me. Um, and I had big dreams from a really young age. I'm sure a lot of people did. I don't, I don't think that makes me special, but I, I wanted to do a lot. And, um, and I, I could tell pretty early on that wasn't going to happen the way I was living. And I probably wasn't going to live period. Um, past 20 is about the age I gave myself. And, um, so in the meantime, I just wanted people to like me and I wanted to, um, be remembered for something. And for me, for a while, I tried to just make that partying and, and stories and chaos and like wild weekends and just doing whatever I can to get everybody to like me. And, and if that meant using my mom's house as an animal house, um, I did that. And, um, and then as I continued drinking and I continued using, um, my life just got smaller and smaller and the party got smaller and smaller until it was a one man party. And there's no such thing as a one man party. It's very sad. I'm going to work on this tripod, you know, we'll figure it out sometime in the next hour. Uh, here we go. Um, I, uh, my life got really small, um, towards the end. And, uh, my, the end of my addiction, um, was just me, uh, in a basement, um, looking at a mirror on a table horizontally looking at myself. It's a bad angle, by the way, it's just like this, this right here, it's a really bad angle. Um, at 7am after 48 hours of consciousness on massive amounts of drugs and looking at those eyes pupils so dilated I can't see what color my eyes are and just like looking around the room and the things I wanted for myself um, versus the way I was living were very different and um, and so I started reaching out to people and, and being honest and, and it, you know usually the first thing we do as alcoholics is we reach out to other people who are suffering exactly like we are and um, God bless them but they can't help a lot you know and so I reached out to people who were using like me and I was like, you know, I'd call my friend crying and like, just like, dude, I'm a, I'm a mess. And like, I'm done, dude, I'm done. You know, I'm done forever. And my buddy, Steven, he'd be like, all right, congratulations. That's great. You know, you're done. Um, he was like, do you have any cocaine still? And I'd be like, yeah, dude, but I'm done. You know, I just, I'm going to finish this. And, and then, you know, tomorrow I'm going to be done. And he'd be like, dude, you, you're not done. You're not done if you're done that way. Like, you know, and this dude was really trying to help me, you know. And uh, and he was just like, you're not done unless you flush it, dude. And uh, and so I was like, all right, all right. And I flushed it. And I, just, I wanted to like, I wanted to grab it, you know, before it went away. And, um, and I, I couldn't. And so I just called my drug dealer and I got more because that's what happens in reality. You know, that's not, 
that's not any toolbox. Uh, that's no set of tools to stay stops. That's just an act of passion. But I mean, at least I mean, it meant I did want to stop. Something in me wanted to stop. This is the same friend that, like, while I was doing drugs with him, like, we'd be up for three days and I'd look at him and I'd be like, am I crazy, man? I feel like I'm crazy, dude. And he'd be like, no, man, you're not crazy. I'm like, why? How do you know? And you might be crazy, too. Like, how do you know I'm not crazy? I was so obsessed with going insane, uh, probably partially because my mom had mental illness and because I was in a drug-induced psychosis. And so I was like, am I crazy? And he'd go, you're not crazy. I'd be like, why? And he, how? And he'd go, because crazy people don't know they're crazy. So if you're asking if you're crazy, you're automatically not crazy. So... So then I just started asking if I was crazy a hundred times a day because uh, I knew that that meant I wasn't. And that's a crazy person. Um, I had to start with people like that, you know, and then work my way up to people I didn't want to tell I had a problem, um, including friends that didn't live like that, you know. And so I started reaching out to friends that didn't live like that. And they were like, well, I know a guy who's sober, man. You remember Brian? And I was like, yeah, I remember Brian, like, dude, he's sober for 90 days. And so I called up my friend Brian, and I was like, I have a problem. And he was like, I know uh, you do. Um, he was like, let's go to a meeting. And he brought me to the other fellowship, which I have a lot of respect um, for, for NA. And I love that they have, you know, the word we in front of every step. There's like, I love that they hug. Um, it's not very COVID-friendly now, but I, I love that they hug. And... Um, but I went to that program with this guy, Brian, uh, who was, who was 12 stepping me and, and he kind of nudged me when it was time to pick up a chip, you know, a start chip. And I went up there and I picked up a start chip and everybody clapped. And, um, this has been said a hundred times, a million times in, in AA, but that meant the world. Like I was like, why are people clapping, you know? And, uh, and I got all these hugs and people told me they loved me. They never met me before. And, um, they asked me my name and like the first people that like wanted to know my name in a long time. I was, I was in a very, um, small world and people didn't even know me by my name. People called me Gooch, which was my nickname and I'll never explain that. Um, but I, I sat back down and with my buddy Brian and I had my chip and he was like, congratulations, you're sober now. And I was like, oh, cool. That was easy. You know, uh, what do we do now? And he was like, uh, well, Harris is having a party. Let's go drink, you know, celebrate you being off drugs. And I was like, okay, this is amazing. I love sobriety, you know. And we went and drank, and within like 12 hours, I was on coke again, you know. And I was uh, 12 step by the wrong person, you know. Uh, he did, we wasn't doing it right. Um, but other people in that room were, and I knew that. Um, and a mustard seed was planted. And you know, there's, I've heard a lot of people in AA, and I totally get where they're coming from, but I've, I've heard a lot of people in AA say, uh, you know, I didn't believe y'all when I came in here. Y'all are talking about 20 years sober. Like, I didn't believe you motherfuckers. You know, I thought you were kidding. I thought you were making it up. I don't know why, but I just believed you guys. I, um, I believed it. Like, someone said they had 10 years sober, and they looked exactly 10 years sober to me because I was with non-sober people, and they looked like non-sober people. But I looked at you, and you had five years, and you had about five years more color in your face than me. You guys had a smile, and your eyes were white, and they connected when you looked at them, and they laughed, and you guys shook my hand with a firm grasp, and 
you remembered my name the second time I saw you and the third time I saw you. And that was all sober behavior, just inarguably to me. And I wanted it. I wanted it really bad. I wanted to be able to laugh again. I had done so much ecstasy that I, I think I was out of the feel-good stuff for a long time. And I had been in, I'd lived nocturnal hours so long, I had just nocturnal bags under my eyes. And like, I just, I didn't like anything about what I was doing. And I liked everything about what I, I saw that you guys were doing. And um, so I started getting honest with people. And I was like, I'm still drinking. And, um, and, and I told my dad, you know, and that was like a big one for me. Because I was able to lie to him somehow. My mom knew 100%. You know, everybody in my life knew. But for some reason, I was able to keep it from my dad. And I told my dad, and he was like, wow. He's like, you have a problem with drugs? And I was like, yeah, what did you think was going on with me? And he was like, I honestly, he's like, no offense. I thought you like had like a, I, don't, I thought that you were just off. Like, I thought you were just you know, um, maybe some sort of mental thing. I didn't, I don't know. I just, I knew that you got up really late. You couldn't hold a job and, and you were different. I just thought Evan was different, you know? And I was like, well, I was different. Um, I just, I had a different cocaine habit than most people, you know? And he was like, all right, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to change my whole life and, uh, I want to go to rehab. And so I went to rehab on my own accord. And I, I think that's huge. Um, but I still had reservations and I was going to quit drugs, you know, and to me, alcohol was not a drug. And anytime they said that in the other program, I just, I closed my, you know, when they said we cannot afford to be confused by this alcohol is a drug. I just would plug my ears during that time. I didn't want to, I didn't want to accept that. I couldn't imagine a life without drinking. And I was 19 years old. And, um, so I got a lot out of treatment and, um, but I, I got out and I drank again. And um, and that was another three months of, of trying it my way and then trying it you guys' way and then trying it my way. And I tried it enough times my way that it was um, it was proven to be wrong, you know? And um, my track record was zero. And uh, you guys seem to be improving your lives. And I watched people pick up chips that... Uh, that went from, you know, white to blue to red to yellow to, I mean, you know, and, and you guys got your, your tokens and I, I wanted that. And, um, and so I, uh, I admitted to my sponsor, um, that I had been drinking and, um, I thought he was going to fire me and he was going to tell every meeting and they were going to ban me. Like I, you know, I just, I didn't feel like it could ever belong somewhere. And, um, and he was like, no, we, he's like, you, you know, I was like, dude, I'll run through the streets naked and like yell that I'm a liar, you know? And he was like, calm down. Uh, he was like, no, you just, just clear up your sobriety date with your home group and, you know, we'll change that and you'll start being honest and we'll start working, you know? And so I did that and, um, and he took me through the steps and it's this guy named Josh and, uh, you know, Josh was not my friend, my sponsor. He, he was not my friend right out of the gate and he told me that he was like you know um i've tried sponsoring guys as their buddy before and it just doesn't work out um because you know your buddy buddy and then you try and flip a switch and be like hey by the way you need to get on your step work and they're like the hell man we're watching the game you know and he's like so we're not we're not buddies he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna be hard on you about some stuff um i'm also gonna be understanding 
and and I'm also not going to demand you do anything. These are all suggestions, but because he did it that way, uh, I listened to everything he said, and um, and because my way sucked so bad, I listened to everything he said, and and he tells me to this day, he's like, dude, you would show up and you're brainless, man. Like you just like we would read a page. And I would read it, and I'd be like, what did I just read? And you would be like, I have no idea. I have no idea. I was watching a car go by and, like, a bird and stuff. And, and then he would like, you try reading. And I'd read a page, and he'd be like, what did you just read? And I, I had no idea. Like, I just, I continued showing up physically, luckily, because my brain started coming back after my body did. But if my body hadn't shown up, I couldn't have gotten my brain back. And I don't know what carried my body there every day. But my body showed up, and and if anybody, this is weird times, you know. And if you ever feel like you're a little off in the head, uh, I've always loved the saying of "move a muscle, change a thought." It's like it's helped me to this day. You know, when I feel weird, I'll just you know I'm a meathead, so I'll get up, I'll start clanging some weights around, or I'll I'll go outside and I'll walk around, or if there's one little task I can do, I'll do that. I'll make a my bed, you know. And just the more I move in my life, the more my brain starts to move with me and like kind of catch up. And um, that was my experience in early sobriety as well. And uh, so I sat with this dude um, every Sunday at Starbucks. And I don't know about you guys, but in my town, there was one Starbucks that was like the alcoholics Starbucks. And like every time you walk, it was like another meeting basically. And you just walk, you're like, what's up, Jim? What's up, Sally? Joe, what's going on, man? Just like, the entire place. I don't know if the owner knew it or not, but we all just decided it was the alcoholics Starbucks. And so I would be working steps in one corner and my buddy Matthew would be in the other corner with his sponsor. And, um, and I have just like the best memories of, uh, of the beginning of my new life, you know, cause of this, um, this program and you guys. And, um, I came to believe in something bigger than me, you know, um, after admitting that I was powerless over not just, not just cocaine. Um, not just my stepmom, um, but everybody and every drug and every, you know, mood and mind-altering substance and um, traffic and just me, my own actions, I was powerless over for a while there. And, um, you know, my sponsor, I'm really grateful that he, he let me have my own process of finding a higher power. He didn't name it for me. And I came up in the Bible Belt, but he never put a name on what it needed to be. It just needed to be something bigger than me. And um, and at first, it was not a higher power. I called God. It was it was um, it was you guys. It was the meetings, you know, because the, there was more power in three of us than there wasn't just me. As they say, you know, if you're struggling with a step, go back to the one before it. And if you're struggling with that, go back to the one before it. And if you're struggling with the first step, look at the first word, and it's we, you know, and. I will get drunk every time. I will use every single time. It's just me in this world. I'll fuck it up, but we don't. Like, I will drink. We will not. And it would be horrifying if we all drank together. I'm, I'm sliding through the slides right now. I think we would be a mess um, if we drank together. Uh, so that was my higher power, and the outdoors were my higher power. I did a lot of hiking and stuff like that. And I eventually found a higher power that, that I choose to call God today. Um, I don't know what he, she, or it looks like, but I, I just believe in something 
based on some things that have happened in my life, you know, and I couldn't have gotten to that journey if somebody shoved it down my throat. Um, that's just me. I'm grateful the program doesn't do that, you know, and the traditions protect us from that. And, um, you know, my, my sponsor, he, he was really good at tricking me into doing the right thing for myself, you know, like I had, a, I had trouble praying and, and, at first and he was like, you don't have to call it pray. He's like, you know what, call it, um, think of it as like a verbal journal, you know, you're just kind of talking out loud about what you want and, and who you want to be and, and who, who, who you wish good things for. And I was like, okay, I can do a verbal journal. And then like, I realized that some of us tricked me into pray, you know? And then like, I didn't want to meditate, but he was like, you go to the gym, right? He's like, you lift weights. What's lifting weights other than closing your eyes and breathing and like counting to 10 over and over. He's like, that's like basically meditation, right? So you can meditate, right? Just take the weights away. So he tricked me into meditating by calling it weightlifting without weights. And, um, I was able to get there and, and do it, you know. I don't meditate enough, but he, he helped me get halfway there at least. And, um, you know, I've done multiple uh, multiple fifth steps, and I, I fourth and fifth, and I continue to learn more about myself and, um, and get more honest with them. I wasn't honest in my first one. I didn't list everything I had done wrong. I didn't list all my fears because I didn't know how to articulate them yet. And I would write down a resentment. And the reason was bullshit, you know? I would, I'd write down, I didn't like this person because they suck. That's why, because they suck. And, and, and then the second one would be like, oh, oh, I don't like this person because I'm jealous of them. I'm jealous of them. They're ahead of me in this area, and I am ashamed that I have not gotten there, and I should try and be happy for them. Maybe one day I can be happy for me, you know? And, like, the, the more I do these steps, the more I step on my toes, and the more... Um, I'm able to drop all my layers of bullshit that, that I think I need to have on to prove to you I'm a tough guy or that I'm hilarious or that, I, or that I'm uh, good and, and just admit that I'm a, I'm a sick dude in a lot of ways and, and I'm working on it and this is a spiritual progress-based program, not a spiritual perfection-based program and um, I'm not spiritually perfect and, and I'm, I'm working on it, you know? Uh, and, uh, you know, we would, we would go through my defects and they 100% reflected, um, the stuff in four and five. And, um, you know, I, if anybody's on step eight and they're, uh, they're struggling, you know, they, they think that it's going to be a disastrous situation when they get to step nine. Luckily, um, when we write a list of the people we owe amends to, we're not committing to make those amends. So I wrote my list like I would never do it. And, um. And, you know, my mother was on there, and I stole from her a lot. My brother was on there, and he had passed away at this point. You know, he, he died when I was in um, in the midst of my addiction. And, uh, and, and that living amends was going to be painful for me, you know, just because um, I had regrets about lunches I didn't show up to because drugs and alcohol are more important. And um, just areas of my life I didn't include him in because I was scared that if he got a look, at who I actually was and how I was actually living, you would be ashamed or you'd be disappointed. And, um, you know, they say don't regret the past and I wish you shut the door on it. Like, I wanted to shut the door on it. Like, I didn't I didn't want to look at the people I hurt and, and how that was hurting me now. And um, so I just made my list and uh, we put it in order of importance. And number one was my mom. 
because um, when my parents split, that was the house I stayed at, raised hell at, and stole from her on a regular basis. She would change the locks. I would climb up the roof and uh, break in through the window and sneak into her room and steal from her purse like a uh, drug-addicted ninja. And I, anytime I think I'm not an addict, my, my sponsor's like, remember the ninja stuff? You're, you're one of us, bud. You're, um, you go real low to feel numb. Uh, so she was number one. And, you know, number two was my dad. And number three was uh, my brother. And, um, and then neighbors uh, and exes. And, and so we would do one a week. And, um, and I wouldn't just say I'm sorry. That was a big thing with my sponsor. He was like, you know, you said I'm sorry so many times. It doesn't mean anything anymore. Uh, so you're going to say you were wrong because there's like, there's actually admittance of wrongdoing there and, and there's room to make it up to them, you know? So I, um, I sat down with my mom and I was like, I was wrong. It was, it was wrong to steal from you and keep you up every night worried and to lie and, you, you know, take advantage of your home and make it my little party palace. Like, you know, it was, it was wrong and how, what can I do to make it up to you? And, um, my mom was just like, love me. That's all she said. And, um, but she didn't mean just say I love you. Uh, I had done that a lot because I truly did love her. And I said I love you a lot. But she meant actually love me, like physically love me, like show up and listen and and be there and like hang around, you know. And, um, and I agreed to do that as my amends. And I was only able to do it for a few days because she passed away unexpectedly. And um, we don't know exactly how. Um, I think it may have been like an accidental prescription uh, drug overdose. Um, she was on a lot of stuff and some of it counteracted each other. And um, she would take a dose, forget she had taken that. Maybe that's what happened. I'll, I'll never really know. And, um, and it sucks, but it's, um, but I carry her with me all the time now because I'm sober and like sobriety forces me to like look at stuff, you know, and like, and look at me. And when I look at me, I can see all the parts of her that are in there and I can make sure and magnify that stuff so I never forget it and make sure and pass that stuff on to other people so that she lives forever and like, and talk to her in my prayer and, um, and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, without this program or if I would have done that list in a different order or if I had put off my step nine for a week, uh, I wouldn't have had that moment with my mom. You know, and um, that's you guys, and and that's one of the little the little miracles. You know, it doesn't sound like a miracle; it sounds tragic, but it's a miracle, and um, I'll always remember it, and uh, I'll always be grateful that um, you guys made me show up. You know, um, you taught me how to show up for other people by by first teaching me how to show up for you guys. Uh, there were many times I wanted to drink but I had to do the coffee at the radiance meeting in, in North Carolina. And like, I mean, one time it was real, man. I mean, it was like me and my stepmom had a falling out in public. We yelled at each other. Like I was like, I'll show her I'll relapse. Like it was happening. And they were like, Hey man, where you at? And I was late to go do the coffee. And I just drove there. My body took me there. because My mind hadn't shown up at that point yet. And, um, 
move a muscle, change a thought. By the time the meeting was over, I I hadn't forgotten about it, but it was definitely not going to drive me to drink, you know. And um, and my stepmom in general is a good example of this program because you guys told me like you know there's going to be people that don't forgive you and and there's going to be you know for me she didn't believe I was sober for like years and I I would like when I was living with my dad like I would I would come home and my stuff was like turned inside out and I had like multiple years sober and I was like volunteering at homeless shelters and stuff and 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 she was looking for drugs and she just didn't believe whatever reason I don't know why but she didn't um, believe I was sober and I, I had to deal with that and I had to just I had to make amends for my side and I did and her response was okay it wasn't I forgive you or any of that her response was okay and I had to live with that because I had cleaned up my side of the street and that's literally all we can do um, and and then I because my sponsor in North Carolina was so close to me and to my relationships when I would talk about my stepmom, he was mad with me, you know, because he was so close to it. He couldn't, he couldn't like zoom out. This isn't his fault. It's just, it, it is what it is. And, and he was like, "Yeah, she, no, she sucks. I think she sucks, you know. I think it's okay to just have a resentment in this case because she sucks." And um, and then I, I moved to New York and uh, I got a new sponsor and I I told it all to him and he just heard it from an objective point of view. And he was like, oh, he's like, something happened to her. Yeah, something happened to her involving alcoholism. And and, um, and she's putting it on you. She's putting all of her feelings about alcoholism on you, and, and, you know. But she's messed up. Like, something happened to mess her up. And I was just like, that makes sense. And then I looked into it, and her um, her sister had been killed by a drunk driver, you know. And so I don't, I'm just, you know, armchair analyzing this. I have no idea, but... But it makes sense that maybe that's what was going on, you know, and like this this tragic thing happened because of alcoholism and then this, this knucklehead that I married into was able to get sober at 19 and, and screw him. Um, so then I just started being as nice as I could to her. And I just, I just, I just was nice to her and I prayed for her. And, and at first the prayer was to not uh, scream at her. And then the prayer was that she could find peace. And, um, and then four years into being sober, I was at a dinner with um, with her and my dad, and when you have a resentment against someone and they're in your family, the most awkward thing that can happen to you is being at a restaurant and the other person goes to the bathroom because now it's just you and that person. And that, that mediator that was there that made you somewhat comfortable is gone. And you just have to sit with your nasty resentment in the middle of the table. And so I was uncomfortable. I was waiting for my dad to get back from the bathroom and just like, not looking at her and and then she like put her hand on the table and she was like Evan I'm sorry I'm sorry that I didn't believe you were sober that's crazy um you're a different person and that's pretty inarguable at this point and um I'm trying to be a better person so I'm just gonna keep doing that and I hope you'll accept my apology and like I think like fireworks went off in the restaurant. It was nuts, you know, like I couldn't believe it. And um, and it's because you guys kept me from snapping at her and villainizing her and, and stooping to that level and like calling her names. Like you guys were just like, dude, just pray for the woman and just like keep giving her zero evidence that you're a bad guy. Like just keep giving her a better track record and she'll have nothing a few years from now, you know? And um, 
we're not perfect today. We're we're not buddies, but we're we're friendly to each other, and, uh, and it's so many miles better than it was. And uh, that's just from you guys being in my corner. You know, when my mom passed away, you guys were at the memorial, and you guys were on the phone with me. You guys hugged me. And we cried together. Um, I just I just lost a buddy, um, and I've lost a lot of friends in uh, in recovery. But I've lost I just lost a buddy that that didn't die from this disease. You know, he um. We went to treatment together, and uh, when I went to IOP after my relapse, um, it was his first day in IOP, and it was supposed to be my last, and uh, my teacher was like, we're not going to let you graduate this class unless you make the whole class about your relapse. I want these young guys to hear what went through your head for the weeks prior to your relapse, and so I made the whole hour about that, and, um, and then we went around, and everybody rubbed in good wishes into my coin and, and passed it down and shared a little something to me. And most people I knew, and they were like, Evan, I love you, man, you know, um, we all fall down, blah, 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 like, you know, just keep, you know, we're glad you're back. And, and then it got to this guy, Matthew, who I had not met yet. And, and he had the coin and he was just like, Evan, I don't know you, um, but I want to thank you for relapsing because now I don't have to. And I was like, what a, what a jackass, you know, but in hindsight, he, he did that. He just took, he took other people's stories and other people's pain and he just showed up for them. He didn't go out and experience it for himself. He just, <clears throat> he gave himself to this program and he never drank again. I had more drinking to do after that, but he stayed sober until he passed and he, he had 11, 12 years of sobriety and, uh, and he died in a motorcycle accident right before this all happened this uh this this you know covid thing and um i got on a, i got on a plane i wasn't gonna go i wasn't gonna go to the um memorial um probably for fear-based reasons you know but the reason i was saying was because covid was happening and i just didn't want to get on a plane and go over there this was at the beginning of it though and so it, it was still somewhat reasonable to go and um i shared about it in a meeting um I guess because I wanted to ruin it for myself. I knew if I shared about it in a meeting, somebody would ruin it and make me go. And so I shared about it, and um, sure enough, a couple people came up to me, and they were like, Evan, um, especially this, this woman, Debbie, she uh, she was like, Evan, I, I don't usually tell people what to do in the program, but I'm telling you what to do. You're going to the memorial. You're going. Um, I just heard a speech from a seven-year-old man who, has been sober a long time, and he says that he has he has a few regrets, um, and and a few of them are commissions, the things that he's done, but his biggest one is an omission. It's something he didn't do, is that he regrets, and his literal biggest regret is a is a funeral he didn't go to, and he just said this last night. And you coming in here and saying that, I feel like you need to go. And I'm just telling you to go, and I was like, fuck you, uh, but okay, all right, and so. I went home and I went home and um, charged my phone. Uh, I hugged his family and um, I hugged my family, as in the people I got sober with, with Matthew. And I mean, this is a guy, by the way, you know, he was, we met by him saying that thing about thanking me for relapsing. But then we, we went to the beach together and we went to meetings together. We went to conventions together. And I have a matching tattoo on my arm that he got the same day as me. And he was a groomsman at my wedding, and he cried next to me. He's a huge linebacker guy. He's bawling because um, because I had found love. And um, 
I, I had these large men in my sobriety who were very uh, emotionally sober, you know, criers and huggers, and, and um, I love that about him. But uh, he was a, he was a lot to me, and um, I was able to show up and be with all of our people and our brothers and sisters, and I was able to share at his his memorial and make his family laugh. And, and hug on them afterwards. I told them all, I was like, I'm available for hugs after this. They all took me up on it. It was like a hundred hugs. It was the least um, COVID-friendly thing I could have done. And, uh, and then they invited me to fireworks later at their place. They're going to shoot off like hundreds of dollars worth of fireworks in very redneck fashion and send him off, you know, with explosions. And it was like a Viking ceremony almost. Like it was very like, it was ceremonial, like ritualistic almost. Like I went to this and he was a big uh, Florida State fan and they played the the war chant, the Florida State war chant, which is like, oh, and it was just, it played all night and blasted in this, like this, this field. And we just shot off these fireworks and like, um, and then the fireworks ran out and we all just put these sparklers together and we all met in the middle and made this big glowing orb. And then that died down we all hugged and we cried and it felt tribal like it just was one of the best experiences of my life and I got his mom's number and I call her and I tell her I love her now and um, I almost didn't do that I almost missed out on like one of the most precious uh, things of life and you guys made me just like you made me do a lot of stuff I know we're not supposed to make each other do stuff but like Man, if it's just a suggestion for me, but if you have a friend who's like slipping up or what, just just make them go to a meeting with you, or just make them call you, or like just you know, I have I have friends who passed away who like the last thing they said to me was I'm okay, you know. Um, people who say I'm okay are not always okay. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, a lot of times they're not because okay is not a very good response, and. Um, I'm just in a period of my life where when a friend says I'm okay, I'm like, are you? Because I'm, I'm, I'm not good right now. And that usually opens them up and they're like, oh, dude, I suck too right now, man. And then we're laughing by the end of it because of that weird barrier we put up between each other. Um, the way I'm talking right now, 19-year-old me in a basement um, would have scoffed at it. You know, it, it would have been a little too emotional for him. It would have been a little too uncomfortable. Um, I don't regret any of it. I, um, I'm very grateful I got sober and I'm grateful that I'm the sober guy. You know, people know me as a sober guy and I'm grateful that, uh, I learned that, you know, a lot of like newcomers, um, a lot of sponsees would ask me like, what do I do now? Like, there's no, there's no booze. What do I, what do, I do if there's no booze? And I'm like, you do everything. You do everything. Literally everything. Like, in fact, you were doing nothing when you were like you think you're doing something, but if you look back, you're standing in a garage in a circle, drinking. And if you took the drinking away, you're just standing in a circle staring at each other. It's very strange, you know. Now you're gonna you're gonna you can stand in a garage if you want. You know, there's just one booze there. You can tell stories. You can laugh and stuff. But you're also gonna go to coffee shops. And you're gonna go to concerts. And you're gonna go to festivals. And you're gonna go to weddings. And you're gonna go to like you know, I mean, man album premieres and, and movie premieres and whatever you choose your life to be, you're going to do all of it now because you can. I wasn't going to live to 20. And um, 
and I'm 31 now, and uh, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I'm alive, you know? And it's easy to lose how simple that is. Uh, I'm a complicated person. I complicate everything. Um, I, I need to come to these meetings because you guys talk like me, and I say something crazy, and you guys nod your heads, and you giggle, and it makes me feel less crazy. And, um, you know, when I don't do this, I twist things around. And, like, I wasn't going to meetings for a second, and my wife and her sister were talking, and they were like, oh, my God, he's so cute. Isn't he cute? And then she was like, he is so cute. Did you see what he was wearing? Did you see what he was wearing yesterday? And I was like, who the fuck are you? Who are you talking about? Who are you talking about right now? Who are you talking about? And she was like, we're talking about a baby, actually. We're talking about a baby that we babysit. I was about to fight a baby. I was about to fight a baby because I hadn't come here in a minute and I hadn't heard how crazy I sound, you know? I call friends feeling crazy and I get off the phone with friends feeling not so crazy. Um, so if you're feeling crazy today, uh, reach out to somebody. You reach out to me. I'll put my number in the chat. Um, please reach out to me anytime. Uh, I can't pretend I have anything going on. Um, and uh, I have a wife today um, who challenges me to be me, to be a good person. Um, and because uh, sometimes I'm forgetting to do that. And I have a dad today who uh, is my friend. And he's not just somebody I lie to and ask for money from. Like, he's none of that stuff. He's just a friend. Like, I call him up and I I, I love talking to him. And um, I chase big dreams today. And I, um, I express myself, you know. And um, when I'm feeling shitty, say I'm feeling shitty. And these aren't the things I would have put on paper of what I thought was going to happen in my life. Um, but that's what happened. And I'm grateful for all of it. And I want to save room for uh, burning desire. So I'll just say that I love you all. And uh, Al, thank you for asking me, man. And Austin's a great town. And I hope to be back there soon. Take care. Thank you, Evan.